Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Welcome to the Least of These Podcasts. We reach out to those the world has forgotten. If you'd like to know more about us and how you can donate to help us fulfill our mission, go to hisloveministries.net. Thank you very much and God bless you. so much. 
the whole reason behind this story is that human solutions aren't very good. But God has the greatest solution. We always want to get rid of the problem or calculate the problem or you know look at how little we have and say, well, how can we fix this? We can't fix it. We can't do anything about it because our human resources won't fix it. It's always Jesus. It's always God who has all the resources. As was said in the beginning, I need to call on the Lord, you know. I mean, when, when things are tough and things are hard, when, when things are down, yes, we call on Jesus. He doesn't always fix everything, but what He does do is He gets us through the problem, right? This morning we're going to look at, at the next, uh, next thing in the Scripture. What happens is Jesus gives them, the, I guess, the lesson that he was going to give them. And now he's going to see how well the disciples got, got the lesson and he's going to test them a little bit. I mean, they've already seen all the miracles that Jesus has done and we only have a few of them that John records. And the thing is, is there's been so many more miracles that Jesus has done, but John, remember, only records seven before he dies on the cross and one after he's resurrected. For a total of eight, and but there's been many, many more miracles that John didn't record, and the disciples have seen every one of them, but yet they still don't get it. They still don't understand that Jesus is who He says He is, and they're not looking beyond the physical to the eternal, just like we don't so many times. And what God wants us to do is get beyond the the physical and our immediate situations and start looking to the all-sufficient God because He's the one that has the answer to everything. Even though He doesn't always fix it, He does have the answer and He can get us through whatever we're going through. So let's read in John chapter 6 and we want to just read verses 15 to 21 this morning. We're going to Look at this little small section of Scripture, but there's a lot in here. It says, Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take Him by force to make Him king, He departed again to the mountain by Himself alone. Now when evening came, His disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over over the sea towards Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But He said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received Him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Remember this section of Scripture in chapter 6 is included in all the Gospels. And if we look at Matthew's account, and if we look at Mark's account, we can see the full picture. John doesn't tell us all the things that happen in this account, but apparently Jesus, after He feeds the people, what do they do? They don't see Jesus, the the Creator, Jesus, God in heaven, who's the, uh, He's going to tell them in a little bit, He's the bread that came down from heaven. They see another man like Moses who took care of him in the desert. And they say in verse 14, 
that this is truly the prophet who's coming in the world and they see him like another Moses. What did Moses do? And it really wasn't Moses what's the crazy thing about it. But, but people revered Moses as one of the greatest people there were because what did Moses do? When Moses was in the desert, he was the one that God worked through to feed them and to take care of them and everything that happened. And they looked to Moses because he was that great leader. And now they think that Jesus is like this human leader, Moses, that he can feed them and take care of them and get them through whatever situation they're in. And so he says when Jesus perceived, he, he knew that they were going to make him a king because, they, get this, they're going to take him by force and make him a king. They're not going to ask him, does he want to be king? But they're going to force him to be the king. Because they want a king who will who will clothe them, a, a king that will heal them, a king that will take care of their all their needs, and that's the king they want. Because they figure this king, he's also a king who can overrule and overrun the Roman government. And the, remember, the Roman government is in control of all the Jews at this time. They're in control of the whole world, basically. They've conquered the whole world. Most people are slaves at this time and and they've conquered these people and these people can't even rule themselves and so they're hoping that, that Jesus will come in and he will overthrow this Roman government and he will set the people free and he will feed them and take care of them and do all these things it says he departed again to the mountain by himself alone and if you read the other accounts, it says immediately in the other accounts that, that he put his disciples in the boat. Now, it doesn't tell us that here, but his disciples get in the boat. Maybe he was protecting them because here's this big crowd. You can imagine if they're going to force him to be king. They're probably getting pretty riled up, pretty agitated. And so they're going to force him to be king. And he puts them in the boat. There's only one boat there according to the other Gospels. And when you look at the story, that he gets them out of the way. He gets them out of the trouble. And then he leaves. There's no, they, they can't do anything about him because in the past he's walked through the crowds when they've tried to kill him and everything else. So he departs into the mountain by himself to be alone. And it says in verse 16, now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea towards Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. As we look at this story, normally it's only about a mile or two across the sea at the place where they're at. So it shouldn't have been but a couple of miles of easy rowing to get to the other side, looking at the other accounts. What happens is they get out in the sea, and what happens? He says it was already dark and Jesus had not come to them. Now, I don't know how they expected Him to come to them because uh, there was not another boat. The only way He could get to them was either walk on the water or walk around the sea. And so He says, Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. Now this area, it's, uh, it's about 700 feet below 
the surrounding mountains and the areas around it. And what happens is, you ever been in a place between a couple of buildings or anything like that? And what happens with the wind? It really just howls and blows and gets strong, right? Well, that's what happens here is this wind starts blowing through. And I, I, I tend to think that this is a Jesus-created storm because Jesus created the storms. You know, sometimes Jesus creates storms in our life because, you know, He wants to see what we're going to do. He wants to see how we're going to react. He wants to see who we're going to depend on, who we're going to call on, where we're going to go for our resources. And He allows this storm to come up. And it was a great wind blowing. It wasn't just a wind, but it was a great wind. And you know, a wind is a pretty bad thing. It could be a bad thing on land, much less in a boat. Can you imagine? I imagine this boat wasn't very big if it only if it held twelve disciples. But here they're out in this boat, the great wind's blowing says in verse 19, So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. So when we look at the other Gospels, what it says is it was about the fourth watch of the night, which means it was somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. in the morning. Anytime close late afternoon is what they call evening, but then it says... And it was already dark. So somewhere late afternoon, they get in this boat. They're going to row about two miles. They're going to be on the other side. But guess what? God's got other plans. Here comes this big storm. Here comes this big wind. And it's blowing through there. And they're rowing and rowing and rowing and rowing. And and these guys are fishermen. They're out in the middle of this sea, out in the middle of this water. and And it says... Literally, in the other Gospels, that they were in the middle of the sea is what it says. So apparently what happens is is the wind blows them not to the place where it's a couple of miles across, but it blows them way out to the middle of the sea down here, miles down the river, and and they're out in the middle of it. I remember one time we tried to, we went over to the Fusky Island with a canoe. And it was kind of like that. And uh, it wasn't windy, but the tide got up. And we, we went over there all day long, and we, we enjoyed it, you know. And then we were going to canoe back, and then that tide changed. And, man, we rode and rode and rode and rode. And, and I mean, it was about a mile across, I guess, not even that much. But, but it took us forever to get back. And that's kind of what happened to these guys, except for God threw a little storm in on them. And they're rowing and rowing and rowing and rowing. I mean, they might have been out there six or eight hours because somewhere late in the evening, that could, like I said, late afternoon to early dark. It probably wasn't dark yet. And they get in the boat, and now it's 3 a.m. in the morning. So six to three is what? That's about nine hours, isn't it? So we don't know exactly how long they've been out in the middle of this water, but I imagine they're probably starting to get pretty scared at this point. Even though they're fishermen, and one man said, you know, he said he was in the storm one time, and he asked the captain, he said, started raining, he says, is the rain dangerous? He said, no, it's not the rain that's dangerous, it's the wind that's dangerous. 
Because it's the wind that blows up the waves that will capsize a boat and sink you. It's the waves that will blow over your head as you're in the water after you fall out the boat that will drown you. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat. And if you look at the other Gospels, it, it literally says that He was acting like He was going to pass by them. I guess He was trying to see what they were going to do. He was testing them. And it says, and they were afraid. The other Gospels say that they thought He was a ghost, that they thought He was a spirit. They didn't know who it was. Can you imagine being out in the middle of this horrible storm and, and you've been rowing maybe six or eight hours and you're stuck out there and you can't seem to go anywhere and all of a sudden something comes walking across the water towards you and, and right next to your boat? That'd be pretty scary, wouldn't it? They were afraid. That's probably a very, very understated there. He said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. And then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Now in the other accounts, we see Jesus says, that if it is you, Lord, you know, bid me to walk on the water, and he gets out, and he walks on the water, and then he sees that the waves are kind of bad, and he looks around and realizes what he's doing, and he gets kind of scared, and he starts sinking, right? And he says, Lord, save me. And the Lord grabs him and says, Oh, you of little faith. And I think, you know, that's what God's doing here is He puts these people in the midst of a storm. He puts them in a situation. You say, well, why did God put them in this dangerous situation? They were probably in a worse situation when He got them in the boat. There was probably, if they'd have stuck around, there might have been a riot because they were Jesus' disciples. They were trying to make Him king. Jesus could get out of Dodge and be gone, but they couldn't just disappear and get gone like Jesus can. And so they would have had to walk around and they would have been in the midst of the crowd and if the crowd would have kept on getting crazier and crazier, maybe the Roman officials might have got involved, we don't know. But it was probably a pretty dangerous situation, them trying to make him king. Because Romans didn't like anybody else being king, did they? They were in control. They were in authority. He puts them in the boat to get them out of the situation, but he also wants to test them because he just got through feeding maybe 15,000, 20,000 people. We said that last week. We don't know how many people there were. There were 5,000 men, and when you read the other accounts, it says there were women and children. There could have been 15,000, 20,000 people or more, and Jesus fed them all with five loaves and two fishes. And then there were twelve baskets left over, one for each disciple, to show them that God was all sufficient, He could provide for them, and He even gave them some extra for later on. But guess what? They didn't get the lesson. Because here they are out in the middle of the storm. They didn't call on Jesus. They didn't call on the Lord. They were just out there rowing and rowing and rowing. And then Jesus comes along and He scares them. And they receive Him in the boat. And it says, and immediately the boat was at the land. So here's another miracle. We don't see the, we don't, we don't really think about it, but there's actually four miracles involved in this one spot here. Jesus walks on the water. Jesus gets the boat immediately to land. 
And then also, I guess maybe there's three miracles. I'm missing one somewhere. But then Peter also walks on the water, right? But there's probably a supernatural storm here too. He's walking on the water and they're scared. And they invite him in the boat. And he gets in. But they didn't learn the lesson, did they? Because Jesus is the one we always need to call on in any storm. Jesus is the one we look to no matter what's going wrong in our life. After they came up with all these solutions, and he said in here he was going to test Philip because he knew what he would do. See, God knows what he's going to do every situation we go through. God knows what's going on in our lives. God knows the storms we're in. He knows the problems we're going through. And He wants to, as you say, get in the boat with us. But you know what? He can't help us if we won't let Him. But you know, we have to call on Him. We have to trust in Him. We have to ask Him to help us. And that's what He wants to do. Because He can help us and He will help us. He's just not a miracle worker. He's just not a deliverer. Here He delivered them from the storm. He took them out of the storm. And immediately the boat was at the land. But you know what? He doesn't always get us out of the storm immediately. He doesn't always fix the problem. But you know what He does do? He does get in the boat with us, doesn't He? Because the Bible says that Well, I was thinking about the one in Psalm 23, Psalm 23, where he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, my rod and my staff, they comfort thee. And he says, I I will be with you, right? He says, if you walk through the waters, I'll be with you. If you walk through the fires, I'll be with you. I will not leave you. God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And he's always there for us, folks. And we need to remember that. We need to trust in that. That God loves us and God cares for us. And life's not always easy. Life can get pretty tough sometimes. But we need to remember that Jesus is always up there on that throne. He's always sitting there waiting on us to call on Him. And like I said, He might not get us out of the storm. But He's going to be there for us. We need to remember that He is our satisfaction. He is the one who's all-sufficient. And that's what He's trying to show these people. And in the next section of Scripture, He's going to do the discourse and He's going to tell them, I am the bread of life, eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And the people just don't understand that. And that's a tough Scripture, but but what it really means is just to partake of Jesus and trust in Him. and, And it's His body that was broken to that we might have eternal life. It was His blood that was spilled that we might have eternal life when He died on that cross. And, and the only way we can get to heaven is by trusting in what He did on that cross and looking to Him for all of our satisfaction, for all of our needs. And He is in the boat with us. He loves us. He cares for us. But we have to trust in Him and look to Him. If we're not looking to Him, we're looking in the wrong places, folks. Doctors are great. God uses them. God is the great physician. He just uses doctors. God is the one who's behind everything that happens in life. He he gives every good gift. And He's the one that loves us. 
And so we need to remember, folks, that, that God's still on the throne and He still loves us. And when times get tough, when trouble comes, we need to cry out to the Lord because He's right there with us. If we know Him and have been saved, He's right there with us. But He wants us to trust in Him, to depend on Him. The first place we go a lot of times is other people. Human solutions. But our solution is a heavenly solution. And that's who we need to call on. Father, we love You. We thank You. We praise You for who You are. And we just ask today that You would be with us and help us to just trust in You in greater ways. Because, Lord, You are the all-sufficient One, the great One, the mighty One, the all-powerful One who created everything, who sustains everything, who gave us life and breath. And and in You we have all that we are, who we will be one day, Lord. And so I pray, Lord, that we would look to You and not look to human solutions, Lord. Yes, Uh, We need to look to You and ask You what to do, Lord. And You can give us solutions through humans, through other people. And You can give us the wisdom. But Lord, if we're not trusting in You and we're just afraid and scared and worried about the circumstances and we're not looking to You and we're not asking You to to come in the situation with us, come into the boat with us and... uh, and to be with us during the time of the storm and the trouble, Lord, we're not looking in the right place. So Father, help us to remember to look to You first in all situations, in all trouble, and know that You are there for us. And we thank You for that. In Jesus' name, Amen. Why don't we sing the one right next to it? Since uh, we're right there and... Number nine, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to take everything to God in prayer. And he says, oh, what needless sorrow. Oh, what needless pain we bear. Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Please help us reach out to those the world has forgotten. Everyone we minister to is locked up in some way, shape, or form. Those in the nursing home facilities are locked up in bodies that do not work in a wheelchair or in a bed. We minister to children and youth who are locked up because of behavioral problems. Some have told us we want to have a real family because their parents have lost or given up custody of them. Other kids are locked up because they've committed crimes. We also minister to those locked up at the jails and the prisons, to those locked up in addictions, to drugs, alcohol, depression, and suicidal thoughts, to those locked up in a variety of other things that keep them from becoming who Jesus wants them to be. He came to give us abundant life, joy, and set us free, and these people that we minister to are not free. Our desire is to show them whatever their background, no matter what they've done, to see how much God loves them. We seek to help them receive forgiveness and freedom from their sin in Jesus Christ. We minister in the local area of Savannah, Georgia, and surrounding Effingham and Chatham area. We have recently expanded our ministry to 
to the Lexington and Columbia, South Carolina area. We do over 2,000 services every year. We hope and pray that you will support us in some way that so we can continue our mission. Go to hisloveministries.net and click on the Donate Now button or send it via regular mail to Post Office Box 1881, Lexington, South Carolina, 29071. We hope and pray that you will do that. Thank you and God bless you. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. John 832.